0: Welcome for the first time. If you're a new listener, I'm Marissa Faye. I am a holistic and functional nutritionist, and I help people heal from digestive issues, from autoimmune conditions, from hormone issues, from chronic disease, using food, herbs, supplements, a deep understanding of the body's physiology, and also one of my personal favorites, Functional Labs, (laughs) Woohoo! which I'll be talking more about in some of the coming episodes because I've gotten a lot of questions from you all about this. But today's episode, I am joined by a friend, Mariah Ellert. She's the owner of Rebel Brain. And we just together, when we first met, really nerded out over nutrition and how that affects your brain health and your overall body health. Um, So I am so thrilled to have her here today because this is a conversation that I really wanted to have on the podcast. And I think we'll be continuing to have this conversation around not only brain health, but stress and how that impacts the body. And so in this particular episode, we're really narrowing in on the brain, which I think is so important. Because when I think about a Western medicine approach to mental health issues, it's pretty rare that Western medicine providers are also thinking about your actual brain's health. And so that's where the work that Mariah does is just critical and important. And the work that I do is critical, important to truly your mental Health and well-being. So, give today's episode a listen. I'd love to hear from you all. You can find me on Instagram at Marissa underscore Fay, M A R I S A underscore Fay, F A Y E. And I love it if you can rate and review the podcast wherever you might listen. Of course. Uh, full amount of stars, wherever that might be. That's just a great way that for free, you all can help me share this message and help share the pod with other people who could benefit uh, from hearing about it. And speaking of which, I want to share a little bit of a testimonial from somebody who reached out and said they were so happy that I finally sat down and started recording these episodes because now when they think about sending a friend or a family member my way, they can say, hey, Give her a listen over here on her podcast, Honestly Well, and just see if you like her style if you like her vibe. Uh, And I can't thank you enough for sharing this with friends and family uh, and people in your life. And intentionally, this podcast is both short enough that it's a great walking break, hint, hint, uh, but also that it's not taking up a whole bunch of your time um, or effort. And it can just be quick snippets that really help inform you so that you can make decisions for yourself about things that will help you to be healthy and well. So can't wait for you to hear this episode and would love to hear from you all on your feedback. Take a listen. So I want to welcome to the podcast today, Mariah Ellert from the Rebel Brain, and I'm going to hand it over to you, Mariah, and tell us a little bit more about what you do.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, thanks for having me. First of all, yeah, It's it's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, So what I do on a very base level is help teach the language of the brain, specifically the stress brain, so we can rewire those defaults and Get our beautiful rebel brains working for us instead of against us.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. And, and we've connected just about, I think, our love of getting brain health in alignment with also our nutrition. So I'm really glad to have you here. And I kind of want to dive right in because I know some of the burning questions that my listeners have about this, really starting with like, how, how do we do that? Like, where do we start? <laughs>
1: Well, I like to think of it as um, there 's two main parts of the brain that we work with when we 're managing stress and not, and not just managing stress like that 's just kind of the tip of the iceberg of what we can do it's there 's that whole other part of uh, getting more access to our higher brain and when I say higher brain, I mean that executive functioner the um, the planner the creative the um, the big picture thinking the I, I able to um, puzzle solve and problem solve, like that part of the brain that's, that really makes us uniquely human. So when I look at these two parts, I I like to think, what are their love languages? Mm. Because we don't want to get rid of any parts of our brain. Our stress brain is there. uh, It serves a very, very important life-saving purpose, which is to keep us, keep aware of all the things that are going on, why we focus on life so that a boulder starts to come out of our peripheral vision, our body is ready to react instantly. Mm -hmm. And it has saved our life in the past. So we don't want to get rid of any of that. So I like to think of it as like, what's the love language of our stress brain? And what's the love language of our higher, higher brain? And go
0: ahead. I was just gonna say I love that so much because I something I talk about with everyone too is that like this this part of your brain that's responsible for that quick response that that fight flight freeze and faint those four F's um, is such a critical part of our of our bodies and so necessary but when we live in that zone. That's when it becomes unhealthy, from my perspective, at least. Yeah, Um, definitely. So I would love to hear, what are the love languages in a different (laughs) part of the brain? I love that you're looking at it that way.
1: (laughs) Well, I always try and make things fun, because when you start talking brain science, it can get snooze very fast. Totally. Um, (laughs) But I nerd out on this stuff and I love to make analogies. I feel like if there's not an analogy, does it really exist? Yeah, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So the love, language of our, uh, the part of the brain that we're talking about, the fight, freeze, flight brain is um, affectionately called the limbic brain. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Actually, officially, not affectionately, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And that, so it has a lot of love languages, but the primary one that I like to focus on um, is predictability. Mm. so the and that can work for us or against us there's always a balance Yeah, um, is predictability so the more when we're feeling really stressed and anxious the more we can um, focus on things that are predictable like very 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 basic things i have access to water i have access to food shelter my breath is breathing Mm -hmm. itself. Like these are predictable, consistent things that I can, you know, gravity is supporting me, like very, very basic things. Then that limbic brain's like, oh, okay, our basic needs are taken care of.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Higher brain or the diva, the prefrontal cortex, go to town (laughs) because we're good over here. There's nothing life-threatening right now. It's a bill, you take care of that, not me. (laughs) So then we don't get that body response.
0: Oh, I like that. And, you know, I feel like, when I work with folks, I'm always trying to figure out for them, what can we put on autopilot so that you don't have to make a decision? Because I really think when we're in that lower part of the brain, that limbic system, that the fewer decisions that we have to make that are just like routine, regular decisions, the less we kind of get caught up in the minutia of that. So if we can make things like our meals a little bit more on autopilot of knowing, here's exactly the kinds of things I eat for lunch. Here's exactly the kind of thing I eat for breakfast you know, when I drink water, all of those things, if we can automate those things, I feel like it creates like space to like breathe a little bit more.
1: Yeah, exactly. So much space. Like the more we can, uh, not that we have to plan our lives entirely. Cause that would get really boring, really fast. Yes. <laughs> um, and that kind of speaks to the other love language of the other side of the brain, but planning, especially planning our meals, you know, planning our meals, Mm -hmm. because when we plan it, we're going to put in better nutrition, which Mm -hmm. every, every cell in the body needs that good nutrition. And if you're talking nutrition in the brain too, I'm probably jumping ahead, but I get no, so excited I'm like, about yes. these things. <laughs> I was like, this is
0: definitely on the topic list, so go there, and we'll come back to the love language of the other part of the brain.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's so important, to When we're planning our meals, we're setting ourselves up for success. Mm-hmm. We're setting our brains up for success. We're setting that, those love languages. And the, two thing, the thing about those two parts of the brain, too, is they have an inverse relationship. So if you think of a seesaw mm-hmm. in a playground... If one is activated, the other one's going to be less activated. So anything we can do to kind of shift that balance and regulate the limbic system and give it the predictability and the planning and the take these things off the decision plate so you don't even have to think about them, automate those things, automate the things that we don't need to be thinking about
0: all the time. Mm
1: -hmm. and then we can start to get creative and wacky with the other part of the brain.
0: Yeah. So, okay, let's go there in nutrition. From your perspective, what is important that folks pay attention to with their nutrition to be supporting these different parts of their brain to be functioning optimally? (laughs) Food. Right. I know, right? First (laughs) of all, yes, like let's clarify, (laughs) you need to eat, which I really find- (laughs) and I'm sure you find this too, like so many people, when we get really stressed, we don't eat. And for a lot of us, that's one of the worst things that you can do when you're chronically stressed. So.
1: And I love that you are, you know, cause you can go into this in so much more depth. Um, so the essentials that we need are, you know, our macro ingredient, our macro nutri- nutrients, so protein, <clears throat> carbohydrates and fat, which sounds very simple, but the higher part of that brain, that executive functioner, the one that we want online, that's also where we, our ability to read and write, our um, ability for compassion, for love, for empathy, for all these big brain things that we want more access to in general than instead of stress and anxiety and worry, is it's really a diva. Like it needs really pristine nutrition. It needs pristine nutrition. It needs you know high nutrient-dent foods it needs really good sleep. It needs downtime. So it needs all these things to go on stage.
0: Yeah. And I love that you said it needs all macronutrients because I think there's a lot of people out there talking about brain health and they're saying to people, your brain just needs fat. Um, so we <laughs> or just people- needs
1: carbohydrates. Like right. it just, I hear it just needs sugar. Like, right.
0: Well- yeah. Like we just have people giving out extreme recommendations. And so I just want to make sure folks have really heard that your brain actually needs a balance. So building a balance plate, which is really the next episode I'm doing. So this perfectly ties in. <laughs> so building a balance plate is just key for not only your brain health, but like your whole entire body. There's a reason yeah. that we have all three macronutrients in our lives.
1: Every single cell in the body needs these macronutrients. And then to take it a step further, the micronutrients. And what, so if you look at the brain, I'm going to use my hand to pretend this is a brain cell. So here's the neuron and the little dendrites and the, the um, axon. And then at the bottom is where all the neurotransmitters fire and we send messages. Every single part of that cell so the electrical components, the chemical components, the myelin sheath around that's protecting it, it's those each need those macronutrients. They, it needs fat for that sheath. It needs protein for the neurotransmitters, needs carbohydrates for the fuel. And if we can get these from real food, so when I say real food, I mean things that grow in your garden. Or that you know you like uh, animals from good, well-sourced um, meats and uh, proteins and fish. Um, then you're also combining those macronutrients with micronutrients, so you're getting that nutrient-dense food that uh, fuel that the brain really needs. So I'm a huge, a huge supporter of um, you know skip the skip the processed foods because they will give you a quick fix. But then you're going to be left, it's going to trigger your limbic system is what it's going to do actually. So not getting those nutrients, the higher brain's like, you know, we're starving because that part of the brain really is starving. It's not getting all those micronutrients that it needs. So it tells the limbic center, we're starving. The limbic center, which runs on one thought only to save your life, is going to say, give us anything we've got. So this is part of why when we're tired, when we're feeling anxious and stressed, we tend to stress eat. Mm -hmm or um, I think like some people even call it emotional eating uh, where that limbic center saying something's really wrong it must be life-threatening give us some quick fix give us those potato chips give us the sugar it's going to go for those carbohydrates those fast processing glu uh, things that turn into glucose really quick in the body and then it's going to perpetuate that cycle again because that higher brain is still not getting those nutrients so it's going to say limbic center we still need food and it becomes this really vicious cycle.
0: And I think that's why mm -hmm. that, I don't know if folks have heard this before, and I wonder if you have, but calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes, because there is this really close relationship between that blood sugar roller coaster that folks go on if they're constantly giving that lower part of the brain, that sugar hit, and you kind of put your body into this constant. I think of it as the difference between like at Six Flags, like the Batman ride, that's like up and down and swirling around and you're upside down and you have to be like chained into it versus (laughs) versus, like the kiddie coaster, you know, where it's just like gentle and light and and the little kids are just like wee and it just looks so pleasant. It's like, that's the experience that we want our blood sugar regulation. And our mood. Yes. And our mood. And so these things are just like so tightly linked. And I feel like A lot of practitioners you know kind of in western medicine are always trying to separate these things and what i want Mm -hmm. folks to understand is like they're actually not separate right like it's it's a whole system there are systems within the system and so this whole idea of what you eat and then it affecting your mood and affecting your brain is so tightly connected
1: yeah it's completely intertwined they're they're uh, completely dependent on one another The, and that's why I love too, that you mentioned, um, you know, planning your meals Mm -hmm. because then you take that part, you take that, when that limbic center gets triggered, you take the quick fixes out of the equation. You have something there already. You have something that's nutrient dense, that you're going to skip the survival mode and go straight to thrive Mm -hmm. and really give that brain everything it needs and to thrive.
0: So I'm curious then there are two different, well, I guess, foods, pseudo foods that come to mind that I know I get asked about a lot. And so I'm curious from a brain health perspective and they are caffeine <laughs> and alcohol.
1: Okay. Uh, maybe. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my answer is always, it depends. People yeah, hate Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, it really depends because caffeine does have its place. And there's part of this, part of the answer too, is that we're all biochemically unique. You know, everybody is going to have different reactions. I have a friend who has no tolerance for alcohol at all. Like she gets full on almost an allergic reaction, uh, which could be um, uh, enzyme deficiency as well. Something as simple as that. Uh, Well, I guess that's not simple, but it's a simple answer to a complex question. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, in the end, it's for me, I'm hypersensitive to caffeine. So it's not I can only have a tiny little bit of really uh, weak tea. And that's enough. Um, There's nothing wrong with a stimulant. uh, But when you start tipping the scales, same with alcohol, when you start tipping the scales into overuse of it, then that's when it starts to do a lot of damage to the brain and to your body health. And I can't, it's hard for me to separate the body from the brain because, you know, that gut, the gut health is going to reflect in your brain health. So if your gut is unhealthy, your brain is going to be unhealthy. And the neurotransmitter production in your gut and the, the, the linings and how, how well you're able to absorb those nutrients is going to have a direct effect on your brain. And when I say effect on your brain, it can come up as, um, in so many different ways, it can come up as mood disorders, as you know, depression, as brain fog, ability, you know, inability to concentrate. Uh, there's a huge range of ways that it can affect the brain mm-hmm. to you know, much more severe, serious conditions. Not that yeah. those aren't serious, but you know way more serious conditions
0: well, and I think that's where you know to impart to people like that's where chronic conditions come in right it's like yeah. too much of those kinds of symptoms that seem like run of the mill and like everyone experiences it just because it's really common does it mean that it's good, and also the more common it becomes for you, the more that we're looking at you know susceptibility to chronic health conditions. Yeah. Um, So I'm curious, I want to go back to this higher brain love language, and I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more, like, what's the love language of the higher brain, Uh, and then how do we speak that language more?
1: Oh, so fun. This is where everything gets fun, or as I like to say, it gets weird. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So one of the love languages, well, I'll give a couple of them, of that higher brain is novelty. Mm. So novelty and curiosity. So if you add in predictability, add in those predictable things, get those meal plans done, and then add in novelty and curiosity, like try new spices, you know, do combinations that you wouldn't normally think of. Like, I don't know, this seems totally normal to me now, but um, once I had a mix of pumpkin spice seasoning, so it's cloves, cinnamon, nutmeg, um, probably missing something else that's in there, very basic. And I threw it in my uh, yogurt. I just put it in my yogurt. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. Because the other thing about spices is there's some micronutrients in there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's always good to you know, add as much spice as you can. But yeah, novelty and curiosity. So things as simple as using your, your non-dominant hand uh, for activities that you usually use your, your dominant hand for. So stirring something or brushing your teeth or um, do things like, you can do things like um, switch out drawers you know, put the socks in the underwear drawer and the underwear in the sock drawer or, you know, change cabinets around or switch, like I had my dog food on this place and like the prep for it here. And I switched that around. Things that kind of just make the brain go, oh, well, that's interesting because then it's going to fire those neurons, fire those, um, that, those pathways in the brain that something new is coming on and it's interesting and let's pay more attention. And it's going to shift that
0: stuff. I love how simple that is of like, just use your other hand. just like stir something with your other hand how great is that
1: just little things to because you don't want to stress the brain out but like brushing my teeth in my non-dominant hand that kind of stresses me out so I don't do that one
0: (laughs) did I get it well enough (laughs) yes so this is like know thyself right like exactly (laughs) what's a lower hanging fruit you know so how does meditation play into this whole conversation around brain health and managing your stress response
1: Big question. Lots of answers for that. Um, mm-hmm. So the type of meditation that I do is called neurosculpting. And it's a, very, it's a very specific five-step process. And what it does is it basically speaks those love languages, the brain, in meditation. So you're getting this this very calming, solid, you know, I've got all my basic needs met part to calm that limbic brain down. And then it's kind of tickling that diva, that prefrontal cortex with just weird and novel, curious things for the brain to just kind of go, hmm, like, have you thought about the tip of your left elbow yet today? Wait, what? No, I haven't thought about that. Let me think of, now I'm thinking about that. (laughs) And all the time you're still breathing with or without your attention. So it's, you know, that predictability and that curiosity and novelty. And then it goes into pretty much whatever you want. So in our brain, Our brains are neuroplastic, which means that we have the ability to learn and we have the ability to change our minds. So using that neuroplasticity, first we calm the limbic center down and then we activate that prefrontal cortex. So everything is alert and in a kind way, not like learning where we, you know, we learn something from fear where it's instant limbic brain holds on to that forever. And we start to create new pathways. So, for example, on a very basic level, you want to rewire your stress response. So, when you pick up the mail, or say you don't even want to pick up the mail because you know it's going to stress you out, or check your email, or you know whatever whatever that is for you this week. Online school, I know that's a big one right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> is instead of getting that you know that clenched up, contract, contracted feeling, we can work in meditation to you know what that's not a physical threat. Like this is something my higher brain can handle and I'm going to remove my body response. So that reallocation of resources when we get stressed, we, our hormones adjust, adrenaline, cortisol, and you know, our our, um, blood glucose, oxygen go out to our extremities. And that's kind of why you feel that contraction or, you know, like my neck tenses up or my gut clenches and it's different for everybody. A lot of these, you know, our jaw tension is a big one too, or tension headaches. That's part of that physical response from our stress. So we can rewire that in meditation to be less reactive by using this sort of step process.
0: I love that. And that reminds me of you know, there's this idea, I can't remember the exact number, but it's like how much self-talk we do throughout the day <laughs> is like astonishing. It's That's like, astounding. yes, like we are just all day long self-talking. And so I think this opportunity to bring awareness to your self-talk and shift some of that self-talk, and even though you might feel a little silly or a little, you know uncomfortable like trying to flip that script just how important it is because it starts to be like this record that plays without you even knowing it's playing it becomes a default yeah, yeah. So and that's okay oh, go
1: ahead. i was gonna say and that's so important too that you know with uh the question of meditation is we can you know meditation can be anything for you it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to be this five-step process it doesn't have to be you know the zazen master sitting with a little a little swatch, you know, if your posture gets off, it can be as simple as catching those thoughts, catching those thoughts, taking a breath, remind or catching your, your response when you get triggered by something and just noticing, wait, I'm totally triggered right now. They said X, Y, Z and now I want, you know, like I'm out for blood what can I do to calm that? I can breathe and I can go back. I can speak that love language to my limbic brain. I can calm it down and you know what? I'm safe. He, this person is just saying words and I can process them later if I want. And just, hmm, that's interesting. You know, just think of it as a curiosity. So that can be meditation.
0: I'm so glad that you said that because that was my next question is like, (laughs) what, what's something easy that people listening could implement or try, you know, if they're feeling like they're just dipping their toe into this world of meditation or they've had trouble getting consistent. That's just something you hear all the time. Yeah. People are like, yeah, once in a while I get on a kick and then it goes away and, and it feels very all or nothing. So where do you think, aside from what you just suggested, where is an easy place for folks to start, something to implement?
1: The easiest place to start is with your breath. And because so many things happen when we get stressed and one of the things that happens is we start shallow breathing. So if we can do, um, there's an incredible book that I just read, um, it's called Breathe. Uh, and it gives like all these different ways of breathing to all these different breathing exercises. And they're so simple. You can do them anywhere. You can do them on your commute to work. You can do them in the shower. You can do them. Um, I like to, uh, so for some clients, I give them uh, triggers. Like every time you walk through a door, pause and follow your breath like just follow it for two or three cycles and see if you can slow it down. See if you can do a longer exhale than the inhale, just become aware of your breath. That's it. Like it's the simplest thing to do. Um, It's the easiest thing to implement. And I, I've even taken a step further. And um, when I'm feeling really triggered or I feel a contraction in my body, and I'm not sure what is causing it, I'll even add a little hum in there because that, stimulates the vagus nerve. Um, not to get into that today, but uh, it's, it's a nice little add-on. No, that I was going to say, that's,
0: that's something that I teach people too. And whenever uh. I teach people about the humming, they're always like, wait, are you serious? Um, <laughs> so for folks, just to be simple about that, since we did mention it, and I don't want to leave you hanging, um, I wonder if briefly, Mariah, you can give like a, a, a touch of what the vagus nerve is.
1: Uh, it's basically part of our nervous system. The, um, that tells our body. Okay, this is super simplified. That tells our body whether we should be on alert or be calm. And the calm is the place where we restore. Like our body is able to heal. It's able to digest food, and it kind of starts up in this region. And then, want it's It means uh, wandering. It's Latin for wandering. So it wanders through all of our organs, our whole body, and it has a major effect on how. We can, um, everybody's done these exercises. I'm certain of it. If you've ever taken a yoga class, you've done these. If you've ever sang or gargled or, or done horse lips, these are all big old toning exercises. And it's, it's a nice little, super simple, easy way to work to calm your nervous system down.
0: Yeah. And just so you all know, where she was motioning was her throat. So that's kind of where it starts is like the back. My understanding is like the yeah. back, yeah, where the of. head meets the throat Shh. area-ish. And so that's why when we do things in the back of our throat, like gargling or, or humming, because that's really where humming kind of vibrates, that's why it stimulates that nerve. So um, it's really cool. And It's so cool. I, it's, it's so great. And it's one of those things that I feel like, we still don't know a ton about. So I would imagine that over the next 20 years, we're going to learn a lot more about why the vagus nerve does what it does.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. I, yeah. I feel the same way too, that we're just kind of, we're just starting to uncover, um, the power of the vagal tone of vagal toning of the vagus nerve. yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: So to wrap up our interview, I wonder if there is something in this world of kind of mindfulness and stress management that you feel like actually doesn't help people be honestly well, right? Like what's a myth? Like let's bust a myth that is common that people have around kind of this area of stress management and brain health that you think is something that takes us to the right, the wrong path or, you know, is truly a myth to bust.
1: I would say that you have to do it a certain way, that you have to do it a certain way. Find the way that works for you. Find something that you're going to be at consistency, predictability, <laughs> consistency, and stick to it. And then when you feel ready, expand on it and start exploring other ways that feel, that feel right for you. But there is no wrong way to do this. When I teach, uh, when I facilitate meditations, I tell my, my students, you can lay down. They're like, wait, I can? I don't have to sit like this with my hands in a certain posture. I said, yeah. And you know what else? If you're uncomfortable halfway through, you can move. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you can adjust yourself and get comfortable. Because uh, I think that's a big barrier. I know that was one for me when I started off is I, you know, I think I'd see these meditation classes and I, I've taken a lot of different kinds of meditation and I know um, that sitting up for me is painful. Um, you know, just because from some old injuries and whatnot. And when somebody told me that I could lay down, I just went, oh, okay, I'm going to take this class forever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's such a great suggestion. So thank you for dropping that here and, and sharing with our listeners. Um, so before we lo- log off, I just want you to share where can people find you?
1: Um, the rebel brain, the rebel is my website and I'm on Instagram, the rebel brain and Facebook and those are the main ones Thank
0: awesome you. well thanks so much Mariah, and i'm so looking forward to everyone hearing this episode if you all have any questions um please reach out and this will be posted uh on social media we both would love to hear from you if this sparked Absolutely. anything for you um, or there's more that you want to learn and thanks so much for listening today